I've simply titled my sermon this morning, What Love Proves. And that story that you watched on the video, what does love prove? It proves you do something about something that you can do something about. And instead of having excuses or I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel good about this. No, you take risks. This Samaritan, he took risks. This Samaritan, he didn't know how it's going to turn out. He had no idea what the response, maybe there's other, other robbers who are going to get after him. He didn't know. But I want to focus our thoughts on the whole topic of love this morning. And those of you who have the worship calendar will know, okay, he's off, he's off the, the calendar. But as I was thinking about this last weekend, okay, we're having communion this morning. I want to tie something in closer with, this, with the topic of love. And so I'd like to ask this morning, if everyone here today, this morning, would have to write down, how was your week? And I know we would need many hours to just even talk about it, but how was your week? Did you feel loved? Did you feel loved last week? Or did you give love last week? Or was it about you? Or was it full of tension and conflict and strife and, and those kinds of things? All of us face problems, and it's just not us. I mean, every one of us faces challenges. Whatever work you have, whatever your situation may be, we all face problems of many kinds. But there's never any point in time ever where we can say, okay, you know what, love does not apply this time. Love is not applicable now. I've sometimes said it, and it's like a broken record with me, but it's true. What we can't do in love, don't do. If I can't do it in love, don't do it. And if love won't do it, nothing will. Oh, we may seem to make a little progress with vindictiveness and malice and hate and vengeance and wrath. We may make a, move a few steps, but ultimately it always falls and fails. But we know that's the way of the world. Force, um, power, aggression... And there's no shortage of uh, voices, and the noise is deafening. And problems are many. We can name a whole bunch, which we will not. Uh, but the truth is we live in a very broken and fallen world. And it's not getting better. If the world ever needed love, it needs it now. It always has, but it needs it now. But that's the beauty of it, because God has given it. There is, so, there is so much love that God has given. Sure, yes, we need clarity. We need direction. We need wisdom. We need all those things. But God has given all that we need. And God's answer to the problems that we face is His, His love through Jesus Christ, His Son dying for us. And that's something I want to focus on. But the very fact that we need this implies a need. I mean, when the fact that God, when I say God loves us, okay, why? Because we need to be loved. Okay, why? Because there's an absence, of, there's, a, there's a vacancy, there's an absence there, which means that something needs to be filled, and, and that takes humility for us to admit. And, and so there are things that, that we need to, to address here. And we could ask a whole bunch of questions that have no, that, that don't lead anywhere. For instance, we could talk about political stuff, and we could talk about the economic problems, we could talk about the social problems, we could talk about the religious problems. None of that gets us anywhere. It's a dead end. But once love fills the heart, these issues, they are still real, but there seems to be a solution. Instead of fear and hate, there should be love. 
Instead of greed and power, there should be generosity and goodwill. Instead of distrust and despair, there should be hope and trust, and, and on and on. John Stott is credited with his comment. He's, he said, uh, we shouldn't be asking what's wrong with the world. He says, that diagnosis has been given. We should ask, what has happened to salt and light? Back to the story of the Samaritan. He was light and he was salt. He made a difference. You see, when Jesus walked this earth, the problems we face today, they existed then too. Jesus invited people to take up his cross and follow him. He exemplified by his lifestyle what he wanted people to do. See, the real issue has never been economic, social, political. The real issue has never been that, oh yes, there are issues, but they grow out of a deeper issue, of a different issue. The issue is the human heart. I want to read Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 is, um, <clears throat> says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That's what Jeremiah wrote. That, that is the core problem of all problems. That is the issue Jesus faced when he dealt with people. The human heart. And oftentimes people do ask, if God is real, then why? And, and if God is real, then, then why this? Why suffering? Why evil? And on all this, those things. Those are not the real questions. The question is one of relationship. And Jesus came to restore, to rebuild, to, to redeem. And that was the road of suffering. To suffering for our sake was part of what it came, what it came to be. That was his mission. To correct what was broken, to fix what was broken. I want to draw our thoughts to a passage of Scripture of John 13. John chapter 13, here Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is just before he goes to the cross, when he's, before he's arrested. I'll make a few comments before we read it. Suppose, suppose Jesus had given the 12 disciples on that final night an exam at the Last Supper, maybe a test. Suppose he said, All right, guys, this is it. Three years have come and gone. I'm the Messiah, and you're going to carry on the mission, but before you do, we're going to have a test. We're going to quiz you, we're going to grade you, we're going to evaluate you, and then based on that evaluation, you will either continue the mission or we'll terminate you from the program. If that had taken place, we know it didn't, but if that had taken place, which one of the disciples would have made a passing grade? Not one. Not a single one. They all would have had a F, a fail. But that's not how God operates. God, uh, Jesus knew the path they were on, and he was working with them, and they had a long way to go yet. And that gives me hope. That gives me comfort, because we're all on the journey. We're all on the way still. But he still loves us, even though we're not perfect yet. Let's read um, John 13, verse, starting verse 21. Here Jesus is at uh, the Last Supper. He's at the table. It says, Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. So things are not going well. <clears throat> verse 23. The, disciples, the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned him to ask, Who is he talking about? So the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, It is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. 
When Judas had eaten the bread, Simon entered, Satan entered into him, and Jesus told him, hey, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Ju Judas was the treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And that's just that last part, that's where I want to camp out on. That first part is important because it tells us things were not good. And Luke talks about it too. Things were not good at that supper. There was not this, this, this cozy, fuzzy, warm oneness of everybody. It wasn't there. Actually, they were bickering among themselves. I should have this position. They were thinking Jesus was coming to establish an earthly kingdom, and so-and-so was going to be the leader of that, so-and-so was going to have power here, so-and-so was going to be leading that. They were bickering among themselves, and Jesus washed feet to demonstrate this is how it should be. And so it says, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And then last, in verse 35, for your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. He doesn't say your work, your accomplishments, your achievements, your successes. Your love for one another will prove to the world. If love was rain, the world would be a desert. If love was money, the world would have very little of it. The church should be characterized by love. Christians should be characterized by it. But so much of the culture is making its inroads into our lives, the way we live, it's sometimes not visible. We fight and quarrel and squabble over things that have no eternal bearing, no eternal value. And Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I've finished the work the Father gave me to do. Yeah, right. Finished? Those disciples are a piece of work. Lots of work left in them to do. And yet he had instilled in them this seed, love one another. And as the Spirit empowered them at Pentecost, they it took off and they did it. Not perfectly, but they did it. They were not done with their training, yet not by a long shot. They were a long ways off still. Had been with Jesus for three years, still a lot of growing to do. They hadn't graduated yet. They were quote-unquote not qualified yet, but God still used them. So the question I want to dig around with in the time for this morning, the few minutes that we have left, is what does this mean, love one another? What does it mean by your love, the world will know you might have said? It doesn't say by your accomplishments, the world will know, by your money, the world will know, by your influence, the world will know. No, by your love, the world will know that you're my disciples. So the question I want to ask is, what are we known by? What are you and I known by? If this church was given a nickname, what nickname would it be? You know how people give, give, give nicknames. 
and I, in Mexico where I grew up, oh, it was, it was terrible. Every villager had one, and we just all knew each other by our nicknames. And so somebody comes into the, the village, wants to know where so-and-so lives. Who's so-and-so? We, don't, we just know nicknames. If Leamington EMC was given a nickname, what nickname would it be? Or if you were given a nickname based on your character, what nickname would it be? Loving, caring, generous, hospi hospitable, or selfish, greedy, mean, stuck-up, rebellious, angry? What nickname? In fact, by the way, this gentleman's dead long ago. And his, his nickname was Anger. Angry, I won't mention the name, in case some of you know. In Mexico, in the village where my dad grew up. And that was it. He, he, his name was, the first name was not, it was, it was, it was not his last name, it was a, he's just his name and then the word anger attached to it. So everybody knew. What about love? Do people know us by our love? What are we known for? Love is a verb, it's an action thing. It's something that happens, something that does things. In fact, Jesus had two disciples, guess what they were called? They had nicknames. They were not known for their love. In fact, one day Jesus is going through Samaria and the people don't welcome him. So a village in Samaria, people don't welcome him. These guys are mad. Hey Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn these guys up? That would have been cool, right? I mean, if they treated them badly, guess who these guys were? James and John. They're called sons of thunder. Listen to a preacher once who said that their camels had stripes. Probably They, they, they were the Harleys of their time. They, they were the, the mean dudes. They were not known for their love. Called sons of thunder. You don't mess with these men. They're tough. They're difficult to please. And yet, what did they become? Gentle, compassionate, faithful, loyal disciples. When our name is spoken, what do people think of? When we say the word Bill Gates, we think of money, Microsoft. When someone says uh, maybe Elon Musk, you think of Tesla electric cars. We automatically have word pictures in our minds about different names. And it's not, not saying it's wrong, it's just the way it is. So when your name is spoken, what do people think of? When your name is mentioned, what mental image pops up in people's mind? Some people, when their names are spoken, for instance, Mother Teresa, what do you think of? Those of you who know the story, they'll think of, oh, this nun in India and in Calcutta who took care of the lepers and the poor and the destitute and the orphans, and they'll think of that. True, it's what she was. Then you think of others, maybe celebrities. Think of different things. What do we think of when we are named? What, do, what goes in people's minds when... And Jesus says, by your love, the world will know you're my disciples. By your love for one another, not how you treat the world, how you treat each other sends the message to the world. And he says, love one another. It means so many things. And at Pentecost, this burst into flame. This exploded into a powerful force that nothing could stop. Oh, the Jewish leaders tried, the Romans tried, lots of governments tried, they tried to stop this force. Nobody achieved it. And the church, in its truest sense, will never die. 
But in a lot of places, it fizzes because it has become devoid and empty of love, and love is not there anymore, and then it just turns into a social club, and eventually it just kind of fizzes and, and dies out, and that's not what God wants. This takes intention. It, it, it's, we, have to, we have to be intentional about, intentional about this. Uh, Paul was very focused on this, and actually, I think if you would ask the Apostle Paul, if you could visit with him and say, so what, what impressed you with these Christians? What impressed you? I don't know what he would say, but I'm assuming one thing he might say would be something like this. He would say, you know what? Stuck up and, and stubborn as they were in terms of their ways, they sure loved each other. They loved each other. And everybody else, there was no hate in them. And when Jesus got a hold of him, he was in all the way. And then he suffered for this, and he loved everybody else. It says in Philippians chapter 2, let's begin reading Philippians chapter 2, some verse. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? These are Paul's words to the Philippians. He's writing from jail. Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Here it is again, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took up the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. That's how Jesus demonstrated love. He says, this is how you should demonstrate love. And it's safe to say, without love, this whole thing about being a Christian is meaningless. It's empty. It's hollow. It means nothing. And I dare say that our world is fine with us giving money to poor countries to run orphanages, to drill wells in some dry country. Our world is fine as long as we stay self-focused as about me. Because ultimately it will kill us. As long as we don't do it out of a love for Christ. Because anybody can do good deeds. Somebody once said it this way. You can do good things not have love, but if you have love, good things will happen. Love is a powerful force that produces results. Without, our, without love, our core existence is missing. We're empty and we're hollow. Paul talks about this in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. Let me just read that. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, If I could speak all the languages of the earth, that's a lot, and of angels, don't know what they speak, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I give everything I have to the poor, even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. and It has no, keeps no record of being wronged. That's a tough one. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. 
Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. And then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. These three things will last forever. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. True love never dies. It doesn't shy away from pain or suffering. It welcomes it. Jesus did. He took the hard road. What is the church of Jesus known for today? Or more personally, what are you and I known for today? Are we known for love? Jesus did say, back to John 13, verse 35, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world you are my disciples. If it's that important to Jesus, should it not be important to us? Let me close with this. This is not about feelings. It's a thought process. It's not about emotions. It's about a decision, a rational decision, making a conscious decision. It may mean sacrificing things that are totally legit, totally legitimate for us to have. But for the sake of love, we give up. We embrace danger, risk. We show courage. Jesus did. Today I want to again remind us of the fact that without love, everything is just one big zero. Nothing. This morning, we can see we have the, the communion table here with the juice and the bread. We want to celebrate communion. And it's a reminder to the extent of what Jesus went to to demonstrate his love. He gave his all so we could be in relationship with him. That's what love does. And we have no way of knowing what our future days and weeks and months will bring. We know our world is in a very confused state, not just our community, not our country, the world is. We don't know what, it will, ha what will happen yet. But God answered the world's problems, then he still does through Jesus to lay down his life for us so we could be in a relationship with him. And when Jesus was at that table on that last night of his life before he went to the cross, he wanted his disciples to understand the importance and the necessity of being united in covenant with him. And Jesus used the Passover celebration to teach his disciples a lesson in love. And if we're going to live, love one another, it's going to take sacrifice. May God give his blessing to his church. Amen.